this is the, the time of year that we all, often make all sorts of resolutions to change something about ourselves. But so often those resolutions fail to transform our lives as we wish. Either because the resolutions are not radical enough or because they don't last. And we just fall back into old habits all over again. And so at the start of this year, we need something better. Something better than a resolution just to try harder. This year we're going to try and fix our eyes on Jesus. Try to seek Him first in our lives. And we're going to do that by studying the amazing Gospel of John. In many ways, as we start this this Gospel, it's a daunting challenge because there is just so much truth packed into this book. And yet I pray that as we do this, it will help us to get a fresh vision of who Jesus is and what He can do in our lives. After all, that is why John wrote his Gospel. With many books of the Bible, we have to work a little bit uh, to work out why the author wrote his book and what he was trying to accomplish by writing it. But with this Gospel, John made it really simple. Because he told us why he wrote his book and what he hoped to accomplish through it. So John chapter 20. I know you don't usually start a book by, by reading near the end of it. But forgive me for doing that. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. John chapter 20, verse 30 says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. So John was not trying to give an exhaustive list of everything that Jesus did. Jesus did many other miraculous signs, not not in John's Gospel. I think that's really obvious with John's Gospel especially. Because it's so different from the other three Gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke. The, the Gospels that we call the synoptic Gospels because of their similarities with each other. But John is very different. There is material that's in John, uh, Mark, and Matthew and Luke about John, Jesus' ministry and his life that are not recorded in John. And there's stuff that's in John that's only in John that's not in Matthew, Mark and Luke. So none of the writers of the Gospels were giving us a comprehensive description of everything that Jesus did or said. One reason for this is just simply because there's just too much information. If you flick over to chapter 21 of of John, verse 25, it says this, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world 
would not have room for the books that would be written. So there's just so much to write about when it comes to Jesus that John couldn't see it all. But the other reason for why John only incorporated some things in his book is that John was being deliberately selective in what he wrote because he had a very clear purpose in writing. John was not trying to write a biography or a historical textbook about the life of Jesus. He wasn't even trying to record the most interesting or the most exciting bits of Jesus' life. Instead, he was writing to reveal who Jesus is. So that people would believe in him. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John knew that recognizing the true identity of Jesus is not easy. He and the other disciples had struggled to do this. And they saw him for themselves. But the evidence that was presented to them over the three years that they had with Jesus convinced them that Jesus was not just a good man or a great teacher or even just an inspired prophet. It convinced them that Jesus was none other than the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God. And so John wrote his Gospel to provide that evidence to encourage us to do the same. In particular, as we go through, we'll see seven, there's eight, that's seven, seven signs, seven miraculous signs that Jesus did, that John will describe, that are providing like a signpost, pointing to the reality of who Jesus is. He used them as like signs on on a journey of discovery. So we can put our trust in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this is so crucial because it's literally a matter of life and death. John wanted people to put their faith in Jesus so that by believing you may have life in his name. John wrote his gospel so people could see who Jesus is, so they could believe in him and receive the gift of life, of eternal life, life in all of its fullness that only Jesus can give. So if you're here this morning and you haven't accepted that gift of life through faith in Jesus then this book is written so that you can come to faith in Him. So that you will not miss out on that life in all its fullness. But know that many of us here this morning have already put our trust in Jesus. But this book is still essential for us. 
Because it's going to help us to see the true identity of Jesus clearer than ever before. So that it will strengthen our faith in Him and our dependence on Him. So that we will seek Him first in our lives. And we'll step more fully into this life in all of its fullness that Jesus came to give us. And then we'll be able to more effectively share that message with all the people around us. In our neighbourhoods, in our families, in our workplaces. Maybe even in our, our, our smaller communities or whatever it is that we are. So that they too can put their faith in Jesus. And come to life. So we want to see who Jesus is. We want to be strengthened in our faith in Him. We want to seek Him first in our lives. We want to step more fully into life in all of its fullness. And then we want to be effective in sharing that message with those around us. And John, in his Gospel, he wastes no time in diving into this truth to help us to understand this in his gospel. He starts his gospel with an amazing introduction that summarizes who Jesus is and what he can do in our lives. And this morning, we're only going to look at the first five verses of it. It goes down from verse 1, down right down to verse 18. But we're only going to look at verse, the first five verses. So if you go back to chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse 1, And we're going to read down to verse 5 this morning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. But the darkness has not understood it. Verse 1. The Word. This Word, the Word in this passage is the Greek word logos. I'm sure many of you are familiar with that. It was actually a commonly used word in John's day. And it meant simply something like speaking or a message or words. But in Greek philosophy, logos was also used to mean something like reason. And they believed that the Logos was what was the force which structured the universe. It was reason that structured the universe. Then Logos was also full of meaning for the Jews. Because the Old Testament described the Word of God as God's powerful and effective action in things like creation or revelation, or deliverance, or judgment. And so John, he uses that common word, and that common concept of his day, but he gives it a new, 
And he gives it a deeper meaning. For John, the word is not a philosophical idea. Nor is it an impersonal force. Nor is it just the communication of God's truth. Instead, the word is a person. A person that John met, had got to know, and had come to believe in. We see that in verse 14 of John chapter 1. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's what we've just celebrated at Christmas. The Word became a human being, was born in Bethlehem to the virgin called Mary, was wrapped in cloths, laid in a manger, and was called the name Jesus. Because He will save His people from their sins. But although this was the beginning of Jesus' life on earth, This was not the beginning of the person who is called the Word. John said, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word. Now, I think anyone without any kind of familiarity with the Bible would recognize what John is doing here. The first, very first book of the Bible, the book that we call Genesis, Starts with the words, in the beginning, God. Moses was saying that in the beginning, before time and space existed, God was there. That's because God is eternal. He has always been. There was never a time when God was not present. And John was saying the same thing about the Word. About Jesus. He was also there at the beginning. However far back you go, before anything else existed, before this universe came to be, before time began, Jesus was there. He's always been. He is eternal. So John could pray, Jesus could pray, sorry, in John chapter 17, 5. Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. The Word is eternal. God's Son is eternal. And that leads even to a very simple or very profound conclusion. That as John said, the Word was God. Right at the start of this Gospel, John makes this startling claim. The Word who became flesh, who made His dwelling among us. Jesus Christ is God. He was and He is God. 
It's the unambiguous claim of the deity of Christ. Yes, he is fully human, but he's also fully God. Now, I know that there are some people, for example, the Jehovah Witness religion, who try and avoid this truth by claiming that this phrase, this phrase in John chapter 1, verse 1, should actually be, be, be translated, the word was a God. They had a little a and, a and a small g. The word was a God. Meaning that he's a lesser God. He's not fully God, but he's lesser God. But apart from this being a deliberate mistranslation of the Bible, it's also completely inconsistent with the rest of what John says in his Gospel. Because again and again, right throughout the Gospel, John is trying to make it really clear to us that he believed in the full deity of Jesus. So in this Gospel, we'll read about the seven I Am sayings. Of Jesus. When Jesus said, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way and the truth and the life, I am the vine. Then in addition to those seven I am sayings, there are also seven I am statements. Where Jesus used that phrase very deliberately. For example, in chapter 8, verse 58, he said, Before Abraham was, I am. Which isn't properly good grammar if you're in English class. But he was using that very deliberately, that phrase, I am. Why was that? Well, because in each of these cases, Jesus was using the covenant name of God. Back in the Old Testament, when Moses met God at the burning bush, Moses asked God what was his name. And God said, My name is I am who I am. I am who I am. This is where we get the word Yahweh from. The name for God, the covenant name of God. It declares that God is the I am. He is the ever existent one, the self-existent one, the one who doesn't depend on anyone else for his life. The one who is never changing. And so through those seven I am sayings and those seven I am statements, Jesus was clearly claiming to be God. And this wasn't a subtle claim. Many of the Jews recognized what Jesus was actually claiming. Some actually picked up stones to kill Jesus because they believed that he was guilty of blasphemy because he was claiming to be God. So they understood what he was saying, even though they didn't agree with it. They didn't believe in it. But of course, other people 
did hear what Jesus was saying, they did see what Jesus did, and they understood his claims, and they accepted it for themselves. And so near the the end of the gospel, almost like the, the kind of climax of this gospel, Thomas saw the last of the seven miraculous signs that John is going to present to us. It was the proof of Christ's resurrection. And remember how he bowed down before Jesus and declared, My Lord and my God. That's the conclusion that Thomas came to. And the the aim of John's Gospel is that we will come to that very same conclusion in our lives. That Jesus is none other than fully God. But although Jesus is fully God, John could also write that Jesus is in relationship with God. So verse 1 again, the Word was with God and the Word was God. With God and was God. And of course, this is the start of the, or the introduction that John is giving us to the doctrine of the Trinity here. That God is Father, and that God is Son, and that God is Holy Spirit. They are all equally God, and yet distinctly three persons that have forever been in relationship with each other. Verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. There wasn't a time when the word became equal with God. He always was equal with God and with God. Now, if you don't really understand that, then don't worry about it because nobody does. Okay? So you can give yourself a break there. We sang about it in in the song, the kids' song this morning. Do you realize God the Father, God the Son? God the Holy Spirit, a one plus one plus one equals one. Not good maths, but it is good theology. But John here, he doesn't try to explain this truth to us so much as just let us to see this truth being lived out in reality. And he does this by showing us how God as three in one acted in order to bring about our salvation. So John will describe how God the Father sent God the Son to this world to save us through dying on the cross for us so that he could send God the Holy Spirit to transform our lives and come in to a living and loving relationship with us. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit working in complete unity to bring us to Himself. So the Word is eternal. The Word is God. The the Word was with God. But in this this passage for this morning, John sticks with the beginning. And he says about the Word, verse 3, "Through Through Him all things were made. 
This is another declaration of the deity of Christ. Remember back in Genesis chapter 1? In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the rest of the chapter describe how God spoke this world into being through the power of His Word. But the Word, the one through whom God created this world, is actually Jesus. Again, there are people who deny this. They say that Jesus is not the ultimate creator of this world. He is not the... But rather, they say, He is the highest of all created beings. That God created God the Son first, and then God the Son created the rest. But John wanted us to be sure that we didn't fall into that trap. So he added here, without Him, without the Word... Nothing was made that has been made. Without the Word, nothing has been made. Nothing was made that has been made. Every created thing in this universe, everything without exception, was made by the Word. So the Word can't be part of this created universe. He must be above the created universe, outside of the created universe because everything was made by him so this is what John wants us to realise that Jesus is none other than our creator he is our creator God or as Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 1 by him all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities All things were created by Him and for Him. Jesus is our Creator God. And as our Creator, He is the source of life. This is true in the physical sense. Without Jesus, nothing, nothing would be alive. And nothing would be able to stay alive. The writer of Hebrews says this, that the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. It's Jesus that holds this universe together. It's Jesus that gives us life every moment of every day. But this is also true about our spiritual life. Our life in relationship with God. Jesus is the only one who can introduce us to the Father. And can bring us into life in all of its fullness. And so in his first epistle, John says this. He who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son does not have life. If we have Jesus in our life, then we are alive. If we don't have Jesus in our life, then we are dead in our trespasses 
and in our sins and heading to a lost eternity. And then John goes on and says, when we come into the experience of this life, then we come into the light. That life was the light of men. It's another one of the key themes in John's Gospel. Have a look when we're going through it. Look out for the the way that John talks about light. We're thinking about that on Christmas Day, if you were here. How Jesus came to be the light of the world. Bringing in the revelation of of His presence and His love and His direction and His salvation into our lives. And again, this points back to Genesis chapter 1. When God created the world, His first act of creation was, of course, when God said, let there be light. And there was light. And that is, in a sense, what this gospel is all about. It's about God bringing light into the darkness. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Jesus is the ultimate source of light and life, and he's come into this world that has been darkened by sin and by Satan and by death. But the darkness has not understood it. Or as another translation says, the darkness has not overcome it. Yes, in this Gospel, we will see those forces of darkness trying to resist the light of Jesus. They will do everything in their power to try and stop people from seeing the light and from coming into the life of Jesus. But they will not be able to frustrate its power. Despite all that Satan and the forces of evil will do, in fact, through all that Satan and the forces of evil will do, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ will shine out and people will come into that light. So this is what Jesus, this is what John wants us to fix our eyes on this year. This is Jesus, the eternal word of God, fully God, equal with the Father, our Creator, our only source of light and life. So this is the one that we need to listen to this, this year. That's because Jesus is not just a good man, or a great teacher, or one of many inspired prophets. He is God's ultimate and final word to this world. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Jesus is God's final word to this world. So the truth that Jesus presents in this Gospel will never be superseded, will never be improved upon, will never be updated or upgraded. Jesus is still the Word of God to us today. Secondly, is the one that we need to trust in. Because He alone is fully God and fully man. 
Only he can bridge that gap between us and God. As you'll see in John chapter 14, no one comes to the Father except through me. We need to listen to him. We need to trust in him. Thirdly, we need to focus on him. Because he's the source of life and light, then he is the only one who can lead us into the light, the only one who can lead us into the life in all of its fullness. I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life, and life in all of its fullness. If you want this year to be the best year possible, it needs to be a a year focused on Jesus. You need to listen to Him. You need to trust in Him. You need to focus on Him. Lastly, we need to worship Him. Because He's our Creator and Savior, then He deserves all of our honor, all of our worship, all of our thanks. So if we really grasp who Jesus is, if we really grasp what He has done, then the only proper response is that like Thomas, we will bow before Him and worship Him as our Lord and our God. This is my prayer for us this year. That we will fix our eyes on Jesus.